First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 22, and we'll read through chapter 2, verse 3. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, and not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So putting away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Well, she was not supposed to be pregnant. I mean, how could she be? She could not deny the fact that she was old, and her body was too worn out to carry a child, and her husband was even older. It was not going according to Sarah's plan at all. And she was not supposed to be pregnant. I mean, how could she be? She couldn't deny she was young, her body perfectly formed to carry a child. But it takes more than one person for this sort of thing to happen. This was not going according to Mary's plan at all. These two women, Sarah, the wife of Abraham, mother of Isaac, and Mary, wife of Joseph, mother of Jesus, are pictures of each other. They are unlikely characters to begin a grand epic. Sarah had given up any hope that she might bear her husband a child to carry his name and inheritance. She had even given her handmaiden over to be a sort of surrogate, knowing that the honor of bearing a son would be Hagar's. But she was long since too old to hope for any other solution. She had even laughed when Abraham's Lord had said she would bear a son. But Mary was even less likely to bear a child. She, of course, was young and healthy, but she hadn't known any man, not in the way we're told Adam knew Eve. Now, I say less likely, but of course, really the word I should use is impossible. In fact, it was also impossible for Sarah to bear a child, too. You know, she was 89 years old, after all. But what does God say when faced with these impossibilities? Well, to Abraham and Sarah, in Genesis 18, he says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? And the angel Gabriel, when speaking to Mary, quotes this, and he says, For nothing will be impossible with God. And we know it's a quote because it's got the same Hebrew way of speaking that the original does. And if we translate it a little more woodenly, just to see what's happening in the original languages, we'd have these two phrases. Is any word too hard for the Lord? And for no word 
is impossible with God. Now, when Sarah heard the word of God spoken to Abraham, which was, Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, she laughed it off as impossible. But, but, but God's word does the impossible a hundred times before breakfast. God's word made light shine out of darkness, drove seas back to their shorelines, and covered the barren earth with life. God's word doesn't merely reveal his will. God's word accomplishes his will. That's plain from the first chapter to the last chapter of the scriptures. And we'll see in our text today that the power of God's word to accomplish his will is the basis of our hope. So look with me at this text again. Let's, let's get an overview of what's happening here. If you remember back about two weeks, well, it was two weeks ago, when we were looking at verses 18 through 21, Peter was giving us another reason to follow the command, which is in verse 17. Or rather, verse 16, sorry. Be holy, for I am holy. Be holy, because God is holy. Because what he's saying what he said was, the price paid for our redemption was so high. Our holiness was bought with Jesus' own blood. So therefore, we should be holy because God is holy. Now that was the why. These verses now give us the how. How we can be holy. What it looks like to be holy in our everyday life. And there are two commands here. Love one another, one another earnestly from a pure heart and long for the pure spiritual milk. Everything else in this passage supports these two commands and gives us the who, the what, and the how of them. So Peter is saying, here's what holiness is going to look like in your life. You are going to love one another earnestly from a pure heart and you're going to long for what he calls the pure spiritual milk. Now we'll see what he means by pure spiritual milk in a little bit, but first let's look at command number one. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, here's the command, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Now, as Christians, we're raised to expect this, this sort of a command, love one another. Sure, love one another, of course. That's, that's, that's churchy language. And when we hear it, we think, yeah, yeah, well, of course, that's what we ought to do. Because we love to talk about love but it can sound a lot more like, I love you, you love me, we're a happy family, so sings Barney the Purple Dinosaur. Because the love commanded here, however, is not some sort of general warm fuzzies. And it would be easy and totally within our power to love that way. If we got to set the terms. But we don't get to do that. 
Because Peter doesn't just say love one another and leave it at that. He doesn't let us define love for ourselves. No, he says earnestly with a pure heart, from a pure heart. Now this word earnestly is the same one used to describe how Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke records this, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And the phrase, from a pure heart, means unhypocritical love. That you don't just tolerate your brothers and sisters. You don't just put on a face and try to make yourself pleasant to them. No, what Peter is commanding of us here is to love our brother or our sister with the same love that Jesus loves them. From the depth of your heart, the very center of who you are, not just pretending to love them, but actually looking at the person next to you in this church, who is your brother or your sister in Christ, with such deep and strong affection that you would shed your blood for them. That's what Peter is commanding. But I mean, come on, Peter. Just look at the guy. I mean, he whispers behind my back and lies to my face. Or, or, or her, you don't know how she slighted me. She doesn't even realize she did it. She doesn't even care that she hurt me. You know, maybe I can overlook what they've, what they've done to me. Maybe I can learn to stand to be in their company. But how am I supposed to love them this way? You know, after all they've done, you're not telling me just to like them, which I don't. I barely tolerate them, as long as we don't cross paths. But now I'm, you're telling me that I'm supposed to be loving them enough to be willing to die for them and everything in between. God is commanding me to love them like that. Well, that's impossible, Peter. And it is impossible. Just as impossible as an 89-year-old woman or a virgin giving birth. See, I didn't just pick Sarah and Mary because they make good examples of God doing the impossible. But rather, God accomplished what was humanly impossible in those two women in the exact same way, by the same method, that Peter is saying God will accomplish this humanly impossible love in us. By his word. God spoke his word to Sarah, telling her that she would bear a son in her old age. And is any word too hard for the Lord? And God spoke his word to Mary, telling her that she would bear a son in her virginity. And no word is impossible with God. Your new life in Christ is because God spoke his word. We look back at the text. It says this, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. You heard the truth spoken. 
the gospel truth, the truth that God is the Lord and that Jesus is his Christ, and you obeyed it. Now, how did you obey it? Was it through some kind of a work? No, because the command here of the gospel is repent and believe. So your obedience was belief, was faith. So when God spoke that word to you, the good news, the gospel, you heard him and he began doing the impossible in you. See, Jesus raised you from the dead with the power of his word, just as he did for Lazarus when he called him out of the tomb. Lazarus, the friend of Jesus, who was dead in the tomb, four days, stinking. Jesus said, come forth, Lazarus. Now, can dead men hear? Dead men don't hear. Jesus' words had the power to raise him from the dead. And it's Jesus' words, the gospel, that had the power to raise you from the dead. And so the foundation of your new life in Christ is entirely different from that of your old life in the flesh. Peter says you are born of the imperishable seed of God's word. Quoting Isaiah 40, he says, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So your old life was empowered by the flesh, that way of living that is tainted by sin, not just tainted, run by sin, and subject to death, that is against God and his word. And the flesh is perishing. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Like the grass clippings of a freshly mown lawn. There's no power in it. But your new life is empowered by the word of God. And so when he commands you and says, yes, love your brother or sister like this. That's his word. And is any word too hard for the Lord? We know the answer. No, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. But how does this new life really work? Because when you believe the gospel, that was like a new seed sprouting up in you. But what kind of plant is it? What fruit is going to grow from it? And what does this new sprouting life inside you need to grow up into maturity? You know, we, need, we know that trees need sunlight and water and a few other things that are in good soil. And babies need milk, which is just what Peter now brings to our attention in the second command. Let's look again at the text. So putting away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants, here's the command again, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
Now, if you're following along in the ESV, you've probably noticed that I'm not reading it exactly as printed there. So as printed there is, so put away, or put aside. And that makes it look like another command. But in the, in the original language, it's not a command. So for clarity, I'm reading it as putting away, or laying aside. Now, what's the big deal? Why draw your attention to this? Well, the difference in what I'm pointing out has to do with what Peter is emphasizing and how the whole action of longing for pure spiritual milk works. And I want to argue that reading it as putting aside instead of put aside, putting away instead of put away, makes Peter's second command much more clear. Because Peter in this section is not, is not making two separate commands. He's actually making one command with an explanation. He's showing us how to obey the command. Because the command, long for pu- the pure spiritual milk, is pretty vague on its own. Now, some translations even try to help fill in the meaning by, by defining the milk. And, and saying, the pure milk of the word. You know, because they're connecting this command back to the first command, the reality that Peter was just writing about. You know, the seed of your new life is the word of God, so the milk that your new life needs to grow is the word. Now, I think that's right in general, but I think that misses the connection that Peter is writing here. Because these two phrases that some translations make look like two separate commands, you know, by reading them as put away and long for, are really just one command with an explanation built in. So the command is long for the pure spiritual milk. And the explanation for what that looks like is putting away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Peter is saying, babies need milk, and here's the formula. What is going to feed your Christian life is putting away all these things. So track with me here. I'm going to lay this out one more time. Because this is going to be revolutionary to how some of us live. I don't say all of us, because some of you saints, by the grace of God, have been living this way for decades. But let me make a few statements, and I hope you'll see how this whole passage fits together. So let me kind of paraphrase it for us. God spoke his word, the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. You obeyed that word by believing. That gospel word became the foundation of an entirely new life in you. And this new life consists in holy living. And holy living looks like loving your brothers and sisters earnestly from a pure heart. That's the love that Jesus loved us with when he gave his life for us. And that love, though impossible for the old you that was empowered by the flesh, is empowered by the gospel word of God 
that was preached to you and you believe. Now, this new life that you have needs to be fed. Just as babies need milk, so also do you need to nourish your new gospel life with the appropriate food, the pure spiritual milk, which is putting away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, which is just another way of saying love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So, the food that you need to nourish your new life, to grow up into salvation, is also the earnest and pure love for each other that is your birthright from the Word of God. The love that was impossible, God has made a normal reality for you by His Word. And it is a love that by its very nature begets more love. Because as you are loving one another, which by definition means you are putting away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, your life is being nourished to grow up into greater love. So why am I saying this is revolutionary? Well, because what it means is the secret to living the Christian life is live the Christian life. The secret to obeying God is just start obeying God. And by your obedience, you will actually grow into greater obedience. The nourishing milk that feeds you is loving your brothers and sisters. It's obeying God. So what's the application? You know, what, what, what can you do with this? Well, first, obey the plain command that Peter gives. So yes, a plain obedience to a plain command. Let's not over-spiritualize it. Love one another here at Buffalo City Church. Not just as a throwaway exercise in feeling nice towards people, but actually love them like Jesus loves them. From the depth of your heart, the very center of who you are, not just pretending to love them, but actually looking at the person next to you with such deep and strong affection that you would shed your blood for them. And you especially need to do this for the person here that you can't stand. The one that you avoid every Sunday if you can help it. And when you think, how in the world do I do this? Because I know I don't have that love. Well, you start by looking for malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander in your heart and realizing that they don't fit anymore. You've outgrown the old way of life like old clothes that no longer fit your new life in Christ. And the more that you put them off, the more you will continue to outgrow them. So when you see your brother across the room, the one who has a better paying job than you or whose kids are better behaved, 
and the thought comes into your head, that's not fair, he doesn't deserve that, I should have that. Recognize the envy in that thought and put it off. Because in the moment you envy your brother, you are not loving him. Or when you're talking to the other parents in your playdate group and someone starts up with, did you hear what she did? Did you know she makes TV dinners for her kids? Did you know, I, I, I saw her kids hanging from the chandeliers. Recognize that you're being offered a chance to slander your sister and put it off. Because when you slander her, how could you be loving her? And when the person you can't stand for whatever reason wants to talk to you after church today, don't look at them through your old eyes. Some of you are thinking about this person right now. I might be that person to some of you. I don't know. But don't look at them through your old eyes, the eyes that saw the world through the lens of sin and the flesh and made you think, what's in it for me? Maybe this person is annoying. I'll grant that. Maybe there isn't anything for you in the conversation. I'll grant that. But love does not make the calculation what's in it for me. Malice makes that calculation and turns up your nose. Huh? Hypocrisy makes that calculation and puts on a false face of pretended concern so that you can look like you care. But as soon as the conversation is over, you think, whoa, I don't know if I could have stand to that any longer. But earnest love from a pure heart looks at each of these people for who they truly are, your brother or your sister, someone Jesus shed his blood for, someone for whom Christ was not ashamed to die. Jesus was glad to shed his blood for the annoying person you don't want to talk to after church. And if you remember that, you will find it much easier to love them from a pure heart too. Jesus is not ashamed of this person. And through all this, remember the foundation of your new life. The word of God spoken to you. The gospel you believed. The Apostle Paul describes it in Romans 5 like this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you look at the people here around you, and especially the more you share your life with them, you will quickly come to find out that we are weak, ungodly, even sinners. And the old way of the flesh that only knows how to ask, what's in it for me, will find no satisfying answer. You know, cut out toxic people, the popular life tip. And it makes sense, at first, if we're only thinking in the terms of short, perishable life on earth, 
But your life is not founded on that anymore. You have a new foundation, the living and abiding word of God. You are free from the calculation, what's in it for me? Because Jesus has already made secure your life and happiness. Eternally secure. I'll end with Peter's final words in this passage. Verse 3, he says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Can you relate to that? Because perhaps this whole thing seems like an exercise in futility to you. None of this works. None of this makes any sense unless you've tasted the goodness of God. If you know how good Christ is, and you look at your brother or sister and think, Christ, even Christ died for this one. If you know that the one who numbers the hairs on your head is working all things out for your salvation, and you know that he didn't make the calculation what's in it for me, you know, dying for a righteous person or a good person might, might offer a good return on investment. There might be something God could have gotten out of that. But God showed his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know the goodness of that. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Let's pray. We confess one Lord Jesus Christ, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was made incarnate of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, buried. And on the third day, rose again in accordance with the scriptures. And of the increase of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Lord, we don't, on this earth, because of our sin, because of the fall, because of the brokenness, because we have forsaken you, for empty things. We don't know what it's like naturally to not make the calculation what's in it for me. But Lord, make us into people even as you have continue making us into people that can love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Because you have given us everything we could want or need in Jesus Christ, whose name we praise. Amen.